Growing and scaling a business is complex. It can be very scary and lonely trying to navigate it all. It comes down to the community of trusted people you surround yourself with. Let's dive in to the Business is People podcast. Joe, welcome back. We're talking today about a topic that's top of mind for every business is how to optimize your business to scale. Now, there's a mm-hmm. lot to unpack there. So yeah. what are you seeing with types of clients out there and the top challenges and how to get folks to the next level so they can scale? Yeah, it's a great question, Tom. Thanks for having me back. One of the things that came up in a recent conversation with a client was how do we go from 10 million to 15 million? Because it feels like it's going to be a very different experience than when we went from, say, three to five million, right? Or even five to 10. And so we started unpacking that a little bit. And one of the common threads that came up was this client's maybe lack of confidence that their leadership team and their leaders within the organization were really prepared to drive that growth, drive that change. And so what we're finding is that for organizations to be able to scale and for the senior leaders to really be able to not just spend their time where they need to spend it, but also to be able to evangelize their mission and their brand throughout the organization so it bleeds all the way through to that customer experience, they have to create what we would call a culture of leadership development. I hear that all the time, like culture, developing leaders. And I think a lot of people are doing that in one form or another, what's your approach to it, you know, with your firm? How do you guys really go a little bit deeper and kind of break through the noise of folks that do something very similar? You know, it's interesting. Uh, A while back, you were one of the people that really turned me into sort of a student of marketing. And uh, I think back to time I spent getting really familiar with the HubSpot inbound marketing methodology. And one of the things that really stood out to me about that whole process was pillars, right? This concept of, you know, what do you want to be excellent at? What do you want to be known for? And our first approach to leadership development is what are the pillars of great leadership, right? And so we want to first be able to evaluate leaders around those pillars or competencies. And some of those pillars are easy to observe. Some of those pillars are a little tougher to observe. And so, as I mentioned to you before, we really, on previous conversation, we really are a big fan of using tools like 360 assessments to help better understand how people in the organization are viewing those leadership pillars or competencies, but then being able to go back to senior leadership and say, hey, on an individual level, leaders A, B, and C, here's how they're doing, right? Here's how the organization is perceiving their performance, but also as you think about creating this culture of leadership development, what are the pillars? What are the common themes that great leaders in your organization exhibit so that you have the confidence when you take that big picture vision you have, right, in your strategy and your mission, the job to be done, if you will, for your company, right, to borrow another marketing term, how do you take that and then leverage those leaders in the organization as a vehicle to deliver to the frontline people that are interacting day-to-day with your customers, providing that awesome customer experience because this whole conversation is about scaling. It doesn't happen without the customer experience, right? That's really one of the key mechanisms to being able to scale and, and grow and 
and develop the organization you envision. So really being able to take those pillars that you think great leaders exhibit and deliver on those pillars, but it starts with defining them. It really starts with understanding, hey, what does it take to be a great leader in this organization? Because the number one customer for a leadership team really has to be that next level down of leadership because they're the ones who are going to evangelize and scale the mission through the organization. So can you share us, like, you don't have to disclose a company, but can you share us a story of someone who went through this and they got the outcome that they're looking for? Yeah. So I'll sort of sum it up with a theme I've seen for a couple of clients recently. A couple of clients recently have come to me with a similar challenge in different industries, similar size, you know, a couple hundred employees or so, about seven, eight person senior leadership team. And they were struggling with what I would call the integrity of the message, right? The integrity of the message, getting all the way from what they thought the customer experience should look like, getting that down to their blocking and tackling folks, you know, boots on the ground, doing the work, the hand-to-hand combat, so to speak, with those clients. And so they came to us and said, hey, we think some of our leaders are struggling to do this. We really don't understand why. And so we administered two things, right? We used the PI behavioral assessment to help them better understand what's the leadership DNA of that group and some of the individuals, but also 360. And the 360 process gets input from the supervisor, the person being assessed, some of their peers and their direct reports. And they get this 360 degree view of how they're doing, right? And one of the common themes that came out of the 360 was they're not delegating. The leaders aren't delegating, meaning they're not sharing some of the details and some of the mission that was coming from leadership because they felt like if they distributed it, they were sharing like state secrets when in fact leadership was saying, no, we want you to share this with them because the more the people on the ground understand our common mission and goal, the more likely it is they're going to create the customer experience we want. And so we deliver these 360 feedback calls, right, to these leaders, but we're doing it through the lens of, hey, this is not to say you're great or you're not so great at leadership, rather, here's what your environment is telling you you're succeeding at, and here's what your environment is telling you you could work on. But we're also going to look at this PI behavioral piece to help us better understand what's driving that, right? Because what was driving that was actually part of their behavioral DNA. They had a natural inclination to hold things a little closer to the vest. They had a natural inclination to really think through and analyze exactly what they were going to share with that next level down. And that was kind of getting in the way. It was creating a blocker for that. So then when they got their 360 feedback, um, they had a better understanding of where it was coming from. So they knew which part of their natural leadership behavior they had to manage. So that full message got disseminated from senior leadership all the way on down. And the reason I bring up the behavioral piece is if I just gave them the 360 feedback, it would feel like I was attacking them or saying, hey, you're less than, right? As opposed to me being more prescriptive and saying, hey, one of the things that's driving this 360 feedback is something that's part of who you are and how you're hardwired. The good news is now we know what to attack. Now we know which behaviors to modify. So now it's more likely they know where to start when trying to put into place their action plan on how to become a more effective leader. 
Yeah, and for folks who might not have heard this before, what, what Joe's talking about with, with behavior DNA, I mean, there's a lot of tools and platforms out there. We've used predictive index ourselves. You might've heard of DISC and there's, there's other ones out there, like Myers-Briggs, but it's amazing how accurate and scary how the insight of this tool is. Cause when I looked at it for myself and I looked at like, how do I manage my team members? And then you put people together and you kind of figure out what does that DNA makeup look like as leadership teams or board members? What is that? complex personalities of different people look like and how do we all work together because it's not that anyone's right or wrong it's just understanding how to navigate it because everything comes down to communication right in communication styles and it was so helpful using the tool and with your coaching joe to elevate our leadership team to just get to the next level so could you <clears throat> unpack that a little bit what do you mean by behavior dna how do you know someone's dna like there's no way that this tool can do that <laughs> yeah so as you mentioned Com, there are a lot of great tools available that oftentimes organizations haven't really had presented to them in the right way, because typically the common thread is, well, these are great tools for hiring or selection, right? And oftentimes that's just the tip of the iceberg. And a lot of the value really sits below the surface around tools that can help us better understand what comes natural to us and where we need to adapt are really valuable. So I'll give you an example, right? The predictive index behavioral assessment measures four core behavioral drives. One of those drives is the dominance drive. And the dominance drive is about the need to have individual influence. People with higher dominance or higher than average dominance tend to find it easier to be more decisive, to have tougher conversations, to challenge the status quo. And as a leader, that makes certain parts of leadership easier. It also creates blind spots, right? If I have high dominance, I'm also not the world's greatest listener. I may be overly aggressive at times, or I might not be as collaborative as I need to be. And it's not a judgment on you as a leader, so much as it is to say, this is my leadership DNA. This is what comes natural to me. Well, I have all these other tools I can use, like my emotional intelligence, my skills, my expertise, all of those things, my values, right? My cognitive ability, all of those things also play a role what challenges oftentimes organizations is when they don't use tools like, say, Predictive Index or Myers-Briggs or DISC or Caliber or some of the other great tools out there is all they're left with are their observations. And so when they're trying to fix problems, they're guessing at the root cause. What tools like PI help with are giving you more confidence that you're starting at the right root cause of the problem and you're more likely to have success fixing it. So hopefully that helps kind of clarify in a more concrete way what we say when we're talking about DNA and how people approach things in the workplace. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes down to also understanding the value of what the outcome that you're trying to accomplish, having leadership with the right mindset. I think that's what's seen a big shift, right? Is seeing different leaderships now have the right transition to a different mind shift because the pandemic has really shifted a lot of businesses and how people are working and collaborating and being empathetic and sympathetic. So I'm sure you're running into these now as you're trying to coach the 2.0 of leadership in today's marketplace, Joe. So can you talk a little bit more about the importance of mind shift and how do you move someone who is just rooted and not changing their mind, that mind shift? Well, that's a great question. And it, it starts with CEO, right? And the board really to say, 
how aware are we of the demands of our customers? I'm going to bring it right back to marketing, right? All of this should be driven by how do I create a different and better experience for my customers? And when you go from that, when you start at that place, I find it easier to open up the door to change leadership perspective because at the end of the day, their customers are their lifeblood. And if you can communicate to someone or get them to articulate, hey, I know that if we don't shift from more of a brick and mortar model to an e-commerce model, we're not gonna be able to compete, right? It's almost like you're starting to quantify the business problem. And then you have to have an honest conversation about impact and you have to be willing to challenge and say, tell me what in your view the risks are if you don't change your mind shift. Because the more people will quantify and, and the more people are willing to own up to what the future looks like if they don't make some changes, the more likely you are to help them change their mindset. And I'm sure that you've run into this with challenging the status quo of someone's brand position or marketing, right? And asking a lot of these investigative questions because it all comes back to what's the business problem and what does the future look like, right? Because you also then want to be able to paint a picture of, tell me what success looks like. Tell me what you view as you know, a great looking company in 2025, right? Or 2024, however short or far out you want to look, but you've got to quantify that, right? Because until you quantify that, people that have been successful for a long time can easily put the blinders on and say, you know, my instincts tell me that we're just fine. The ones that are, are having that more honest conversation, leaders that are having a more honest conversation today, are more likely to be positioned for success in the future. And quite frankly, Tom, it's incumbent upon people like you and I to help them get to that conversation faster and to get to a place faster where if a change is necessary, you know, we can help them get there with confidence and be a partner for them, right? Because I think that's really important. 100%. We are seen just like yourself as advisors and guide and trusted, you know, partners, because we, we're both growth minded on how we want to help our clients scale and it takes a village because it's not one solution, it's multiple experts and to do that. So as you're getting companies through this process, what's the timeline typically look like on average? Because, you know, it's a shift. And then what are some of the deliverables typically that you're seeing? Because people listening, okay, this sounds great. I want to have a culture of leadership. I want to make that change, but I don't know if it's a timeline investment, like what does it look like to kind of get involved in something like this? I think the first step is to identify, you know, kind of that zero barrier and get way out ahead of it to say, at what point in our growth, can I just not afford to have enlightened leaders? And I want to have a benchmark that's well ahead of that. But you have to have zero barrier first, right? To say, hey, look, if by July of next year, we're not doing things very differently, right? That has to be the bogey. And then we work backwards from there to say, all right, well, let's try and get out ahead of that. Let's try and say by April 1st of next year, right? We want to have you achieving X, Y, Z outcome, right? All right. Well, what has to happen before that? We almost work backwards, right? From what does success look like to now? And typically when we get to now, it's almost always the common thread is, I mean, I know I'm kind of beating the dead horse a little bit here, but is figuring out 
who in the organization would benefit from something like a 360 process because it does two things, right? It sets the stage. It creates a foundation that's driven by data and observation. And it communicates to the leaders in the organization, we're invested in this. We're building a couple of my clients are now calling them leadership academies and they're branding them internally. It's really cool work. It's a lot of fun. You know, we are a or the, in some cases, provider and doing the delivery of the work. But this concept of building a leadership academy, it's typically happening come over the course of, you know, six to 12, maybe 18 months, depends on, like I said, depends on zero barrier. It depends on, you know, <laughs> how long until the asteroid hits the earth, so to speak, right? <laughs> we all saw Armageddon. We're all children of the 90s here for the most part, <laughs> right? And how do we get way out ahead of that? So the timeline really is driven by that, but it almost always starts with some kind of a diagnostic up front to give us the data to say, okay, as we build out the rest of the pieces of this program, this culture, where are we starting, right? Let's get an honest inventory of where we are today. And it's the most critical investment and critical piece. And I'll tell you, some organizations have said, hey, Joe, I, I think I know it's going to come out of this and, and I'm confident that we can build the next five or six pieces of this. And others have said, let's do the 360 first because then we're going to really know what are the right pieces, right? What are the competencies we need to build up? What order do they have to come in? And we have the raw material to help them build that, but we might have to come in different order, right? Depending on what comes out of that 360 process, but we're finding it's the most critical ingredient. And we're also finding that organizations come that are doing it they're not just communicating the commitment to their team. They're affirming the commitment to themselves as a leadership team to say, yeah, we're really ready to dig in and do this work. And by the way, the CEO is doing the 360 first. They're the first one that does it. That's true leadership right there. There's <laughs> no braver and no stronger and more confident way, in my view, to communicate as a CEO that you're committed to a culture of leadership development than a CEO who says, I'm going first, I'm setting the tone in the most successful leadership academies we've done the last three of them, or the ones that we're involved in now, CEO went first. I know you guys done so many of these, you know, I, I think folks who are listening, they think, okay, this sounds awesome, but what are some outcomes people should expect if they're doing like a culture of leadership program? So the first outcome is, well, I'm going to start right at the end, which is the ability to scale faster. You're going to scale more quickly when you have a culture of leadership because it's so expensive to hire leaders from the outside and it's so disruptive. It slows you down. You're not scaling as fast as you can when you have to replace key leaders because they can't cut it or they don't have the tools to do the job, right? Two, when you have a culture of leadership, it's much easier to navigate change, right? And when we talk about change, changing our business model, changing how we manage our customers, changing how we deliver, changing how we run operations, logistics, sales, marketing, customer service, whatever it is. And most importantly, right, is communicating internally to your team that you're committed to leadership. It's a culture boost right off the bat. So those three deliverables, scaling more quickly, having a deeper bench that you don't have to go outside for, rather you can develop people inside, so you can manage change. And then lastly, having that cultural commitment, stronger employee engagement 
those are the types of deliverables you should be looking for by investing in culture of leadership development. I mean, it's almost like a no-brainer sometimes. <laughs> no, you think so, but leadership has to have the right attitude. They've got to own it from the top. If they're willing to own it from the top, people that own it, the quicker they own it, the quicker they get where they want to go, faster they are more profitable, better culture, better employee experience. What a wonderful world you can live in, right? If you take some of those simple steps. <laughs> You know, and, and lastly, you know, my opinion on next steps, a lot of times what Joe does is there's an complementary part of storytelling, you know, from like a content asset. So as a marketer hat that I put on in branding, you know, we work with HR departments all the time and it's like, okay, well, how do you retain and recruit people? And if you're going to tell the story about a strong leadership culture here and you want to attract other leaders to step up or attract leaders outside to come in and say, I like this culture here, doing things like putting it on your website, you know, putting it on social media, showing the leaders acting, but really executing as leaders. I, it, you can talk to talk, but you got to walk the walk. And to, we do that by capturing videos and stories and having not just the leaders talk about it, but the employees who are excited to talk about their managers and leaders, or maybe that employee who started from the ground floor and worked their way up and just showing all the different dynamics of how this company culture is so strong. You got to treat your storytelling no different than how you treat your marketing efforts to go out there and try to attain a client. You got to do the same thing for your internal branding and marketing efforts on how to attain and keep your employees and leaders. So that's the best advice I can give the people who are listening to this is you have to put efforts equally on both ends because it all works together as a synergy. Because even people who just look at your culture and they see a good culture, you're going to attract prospects who say, I want to align myself and work with that company because it comes down to the people at the end of the day, you know, that are delivering that product or service. There's no doubt. I mean, think about it simply, right? It's a lot easier to go out and deliver a great brand and message to the masses that you're trying to attract when it starts at the top, moves through leadership, down through the organization, as opposed to trying to start the other way and saying, well, we're going to build great marketing and branding. We'll worry about our team later, right? You got to start with, your number one customer as a senior leader or CEO is your team. Your number one customer is your people because if you have great people that believe in your mission and brand, they're going to go out and create that great buying experience for your customers. Boom, drop the mic. That's it. <laughs> it's easy. That's all you guys got to do, guys. I did, I drop <laughs> I'd probably break it. No one <laughs> uh, Joe, how do people get a hold of you to follow up with you if they have any questions? Yeah. So email is the best. So it's joe at thecornerstonegroupinc.com. We're actually going to be changing the name of the organization shortly. So stay tuned on that. As we have in our email signature, our name's changing, but our commitment to our clients is not. But we think the new brand that we're rolling out, it's going to be called leadshift.com is going to be more consistent, tell our story a little better and just make it easier for people to understand how we might be able to help them. But again, Joe at thecornerstonegroupinc.com for now, or on social, on LinkedIn, you know, people can hit me up there. They can hit me up on Instagram, Facebook. If anyone feels like they'd love to chat, I'll call me, text me 508-340-1247. I'm available. All right, Joe. Thanks a lot again for, for dropping some knowledge and looking forward for our next session. Right. Me too, Tom. Thanks right. a bunch for having me again. Right. Cheers. 
If you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover, please email me at podcast at or message me on LinkedIn.